coming up on this episode of Here's an Idea. You're not going to come into the operating room and some robot's going to take over and work on you. I don't want that. I don't think anyone really wants that. A normal robot is made of a motor. A motor is a steel can, a magnet, and a coil of wire. You really can't think of worse things to put inside an MRI scanner, right? The idea is that to make surgeons' life better so that they have more time to focus on the complicated, nuanced aspect of the surgery. This episode of Here's an Idea is brought to you by Futech Advanced Sensor Technology. Futech helps leading innovators shape the future by providing custom sensing and test measurement instruments for groundbreaking applications. Futech solutions push the limits of measurement capabilities and development to reinvent and redefine sensor technology. Surgical robots are becoming more and more common. And one of the best examples is the Da Vinci system. A masterpiece, I guess you could say, given its name. The Da Vinci is made by Intuitive Surgical, a company based in California. This fairly large technology looks a bit futuristic. It has four arms that hang over the patient, who lies down on the system's cart during a procedure. The arms of the big machine hold surgical instruments and a stereo camera, and the instruments can all be placed inside the body. And the doctor has control of the Da Vinci but from a distance. Seated at a nearby console, the surgeon manipulates the instruments remotely, maneuvering the grippers inside the body. The Da Vinci was introduced over a decade ago, and it's now used in over 3,000 hospitals around the world. And doctors like it. It's very beneficial because it can um, speed healing to do this kind of operation. And so it's used for, for hernias, it's used for gallbladders, it's used for um, prostate um, and, and a variety of other applications. So it's a, it's a really nice system that has been embraced by many surgeons. This is Ken Goldberg, a professor of engineering at UC Berkeley. Goldberg and his students work on ways to improve robotic technologies like the Da Vinci. With a system like the Da Vinci, the surgeon has remote control. The surgeon grips the joystick controls and the Da Vinci translates the operator's hand wrist, and finger movements into precise, real-time movements of the surgical instruments. The surgeon does this while viewing a high-definition 3D image inside the patient's body, thanks to that stereo camera fixed on the da Vinci's arm. With this kind of ability, a doctor can sit behind a glass window and use the joystick to control a catheter inside the body. All kinds of complex remote movements are possible. There's some question about the da Vinci's cost, because it's fairly expensive and takes time to set up. But many surgeons are happy to have it, says Ken. It's actually comfortable, as far as remote surgical instruments go. It's much more ergonomic because the surgeon is sitting comfortably at a station and looking down and maneuvering with his or her fingers. And then those motions are translated to the, the grippers that are inside the body. Ken knows all about the Da Vinci system. He and his team want to make it even better. The Da Vinci system is well accepted, but it's not autonomous. Right now, the doctor is doing all the work, controlling the robotic system with a joystick and foot pedals. Ken and his students want to increase the automation of Da Vinci to leave a lot of its functions to the robot. Is that kind of automation safe? How close are we to truly automated surgery? How important is the human surgeon when robotics and automation are taking over? 
In this episode of Here's an Idea, we'll speak to three researchers, including Ken, of course, and we'll learn how they're finding ways to automate surgical tasks, from the operation of the da Vinci, to suturing, to spotting tumors. So here's an idea, surgical robots. Before you can get going on the da Vinci system, you need to pass a test known as the peg transfer. With the controls, you have to get the robotic arm to send six little red pegs from one side of a grid to the other. Here's Ken. It looks like a, a little puzzle where you have these little pegs. Each of them are about two centimeters high. And you have these little blocks that are triangular blocks. They actually are erasers for, <laughs> actually no, they're used for holding your, a, a pencil in your hand. And so what you have to do is move those little rubber blocks between pegs, and that's the peg transfer task. And so if you do that with the robots, uh, you are essentially now showing that you can manipulate, move things around very comfortably in with that system. So that's the standard. The test to me felt like one of those claw games that you find in the arcade where you snatch up a stuffed animal. At the very least, the test felt to be like a video game. It is like a video game. You're sitting with these controllers. It's different than a Sony controller, of course, but it's basically moving things around. And then you're looking into a, into a, a screen and you're seeing uh, what the, the camera sees in the other side and you're maneuvering. And so you're trying to play, it, it is a game really. You're trying to move these things as quickly as possible without dropping them. And try to beat the robot. Trying to beat the robot. <laughs> Ken Goldberg and his team wanted to see if they could get a robot to not only perform the peg transfer task on its own, but to do it better than a human. With a combination of depth sensing and deep learning, Goldberg and the students got the da Vinci to perform the task faster than a number of people, even a New York Times reporter, who did the peg transfer with a joystick earlier this year. Here's Ken talking about that day. We recorded the time it took for him to do it, and then we had the robot turn the robot on. And we all kind of held our breath because we weren't sure, you know, if it was going to perform as it had for us in the past. And it worked beautifully. It didn't fail at all. It transferred all six blocks to a different set of pegs and then transferred them all back perfectly smoothly and much faster than he had done it. So that was a great moment for us to see that it could, you know, in a, in a real setting where everybody's watching, it, it would work as, as we hoped. The robotic system contains what's known as a neural network, and this neural network is trained with a variety of images that allow it to, in effect, learn from its mistakes, using the visual feedback as its guide. 180 human demonstrations, each about two seconds long, were used to guide the robot. The learned policy maps images of both the workspace and the instrument to initiate small corrective motions and keep the instrument on track. By mounting a 3D-printed red, green, and blue ball on the surgical arm, the robot can move randomly, and then the researchers can calibrate, comparing where the robot thinks it is to where it actually is. In addition to the deep learning involved, Goldberg's team also had to perceive the best possible grip point for the block, and that depends on how the block is sitting with respect to the peg. So that means that, for example, if the block is, um, you can imagine it's a little circular um, block, and if it's, depending on where it is in terms of the uh, peg location, you want to grasp it in different points to pick it up. So we have to do that computation very fast. And we use, in this case, a depth sensor, which is a new class of sensors that are very, very nice, like the Kinect. 
and we used that to 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 help us with that part of it. It worked. The team tested the autonomous system against a group of nine volunteers, including a surgical resident. The neural network speed was slightly faster than the surgeon in the study, and definitely faster than the non-medical subjects. The system successfully automated the PEG transfer in 357 out of 360 trials. That's a 99.4% accuracy. In their report, the capability is even described as superhuman. So superhuman, if you've defined in the dictionary, is ex exceeding the, the, the performance of human beings. So in this case, we, we characterize it in two aspects. One is in speed and two is in collisions. So we have far fewer collisions. We are slightly faster, as I said. Uh, this is the robot is, and it's very consistent. The motions are very consistent. So the variance is significantly better than the human. The results overall are a breakthrough in terms of accuracy and speed. This is significant, I think, because it, to my knowledge, this is the first time that we've been able to get a robot that would exceed the extraordinary capabilities of a trained surgeon. Does this mean we'll have humans replaced by robotic surgeons? Not at all, says Ken. You're not going to come into the operating room and some robot's going to take over and work on you. I don't want that. I don't think anyone really wants that. But the idea is that to make surgeons life better so that they have more time to focus on the complicated, nuanced aspect of the surgery. Robots are good at performing reliable motions over and over again. They're capable of working very vigilantly. They don't get tired. Robots may support an automation of these kinds of surgical tasks that call for reliable motions. Something like suturing, which requires a special skill when done manually. What you're looking for is consistency. You want to be able to place those stitches evenly around the wound, and that will speed healing and leave less scarring. So that was, that's something we think the robot could be actually very good at. So that what the surgeon would do is perform the complex operation inside the body, which is very hard. And then when it's time to close up, the, the surgeon could indicate the, 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 the direction of where he or she wants the, the, the wound to be closed, and then the robot would take over. The idea, says Ken, is to provide assistance to the surgeon, to help the surgeon with well-specified subtasks, like sewing up a patient, or during a procedure, removing dead skin. Essentially to free the surgeon from all the detailed motions. Because over a long surgery, it can be very tedious and actually um, that can cause a lot of frustration when you, this can be done automatically. Just as cruise control is very nice to use in your car. In cars, there's sometimes things that will help parallel park a car or other aspects, maybe staying in lane. Uh, those are the kind of tools we're looking at for surgeries. And that the door is starting to open right now. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Futech Advanced Sensor Technology specializes in the research and development of sensors that measure force, torque, or pressure. For the past three decades, Futech has had the privilege to work with leading institutions such as NASA on groundbreaking missions like the 2012 Curiosity Mars rover and the upcoming Viper Lunar rover. To find out more about how their solutions and capabilities help support innovation in aerospace, visit www.futech.com. There you can check out applications like a multi-axial torque sensor and instrumentation system for quadcopter propeller testing, or the use of force measurement in the launch mechanisms of unmanned aerial vehicles. You can also explore over 100 application concepts across multiple industries, 
illustrating the limitless possibilities of Futex products. As Ken Goldberg suggested, one of the tasks that could potentially use a kind of cruise control is suturing, the stitching together of tissue. In surgeries, there's a process called anastomosis, which requires carefully placed sutures. In anastomosis, a surgeon may have to remove a tumor from the colon or intestine and then close up those tubular structures. The process is complicated and requires awkward and intricate hand movements. You have to make 20 really finely positioned, equally spaced sutures close to the intestine of the patient. And if you make one little mistake, then you're going to have a leak um, and, uh, you know, possible complications post-surgical. This is Axel Krieger. He's currently a professor of mechanical engineering at Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. In 2012, Krieger was with the Children's National Health System in Washington, D.C., at that time, he and his team developed a lightweight robotic arm. It places a line of specialized sutures all by itself, preventing the leaks that could lead to post-surgical complications. To do that kind of suturing work, Krieger created a system known as STAR, which stands for Smart Tissue Autonomous Robot. It's uh, a robot uh, with a couple robot manipulator arms holding surgical tools and cameras. So the surgical tools are uh, operated by the robotic manipulator directly um, and then all controlled by software, of course. STAR automates the process of suturing together two segments of an intestine after a portion of the organ has been removed. Human tissue is unpredictable and it may shift. The star is fitted with a force sensor to make sure that its needle doesn't push too hard and deform the skin during the suture. How does the autonomous robot know where to go exactly? It follows infrared biomarkers, a kind of bioglue dot that's placed by the surgeon. And that's what makes the smart robot so smart, says Axel. We can apply a little droplet of uh, in infrared uh, dye onto the target tissue. Um, we combine that dye with like a super glue so it attaches to the wet uh, tissue and uh, it becomes like a really bright marker um, in uh, the image guidance. And so if the patient moves, if you have deformation, you can very robustly track the tissue. And so we've been using that a lot for you know, directing our robot and uh, reacting to deformation and uh, motion changes. The STAR robot was tested on pigs living pigs, and the robot succeeded in making evenly spaced, leak-proof stitches. And Krieger is teaching the robot another skill, besides suturing. Tumor removal. Using the same image guidance to find areas of the body, but to then cut out the tissue and electro-cauterize it. The technology is still in the research phase, and Krieger hopes to someday test the system out on human patients. The robot still isn't truly autonomous, in the sense that a human's expertise is needed to provide the infrared biomarkers, for example, that glue, or to deal with tissue that a robot may not understand, or to get the tool into a precise small area with sub-millimeter accuracy. For example, if you want to uh, close uh, intestinal tissue, um, there are some corners 
and the corners are really really small and so getting into them uh, you need sometimes you know really sub millimeter accuracy and so there we kind of hit our limits of our technology with the sensing the registration and sometimes our robot just misplaces uh, the tool and so we need a little bit uh, help to get into those hard to hard to get uh, to uh, areas so the corners of the uh, tissue are sometimes a good example where we need help Next, the team will work on shrinking down the technology and increasing autonomy. In that way, the surgeons will need to intervene less and less. Like Ken, though, Axel believes that the future of robotic surgery will begin with the smaller tasks, like suturing. It's going to start with, uh, you know, smaller subfunctions and then get more and more complex probably in the future. The kind of robots that Greg Fisher works on up in Massachusetts are not the Da Vinci. They do, however, automate what Axel referred to as the smaller subfunction tasks. And that's really what, what I'm very focused on. It's not, you know, let's press a button and have the entire procedure done. It's how can we have some step of the procedure done or some step of the planning done. This is Greg, and he and his team at Worcester Polytechnic Institute in Massachusetts created a surgical imaging robot that works within an MRI machine. You've likely seen an MRI machine. The giant, tube-shaped magnet offers detailed imagery of the organs inside a patient. In 2015, Greg Fisher, along with fellow researchers, built a robot that finds its way through a patient to potentially dangerous tissue, using real-time images from the MRI as a navigational guide. Looking at real-time MRI images, the doctor can identify parts of the prostate, for example, that look suspicious, and direct the robotic tool, or specifically the needle of the robotic tool, to those spots. The robot is designed to take images of targeted cells, as well as to initiate needle-guided biopsies. The machine is compact and fits between the legs of the patient and inside the 60 to 70 centimeter wide entryway of the MRI scanner. There's not a lot of room for the robot to work, which creates unique challenges for Fisher. Aside from all of the MRI constraints, right, uh, a normal robot is made of a motor. A motor is a steel can, a magnet, and a coil of wire. You really can't think of worse things to put inside an MRI scanner, right? So uh, we're trying to figure out how can we create our own, you know, sensors, actuators, control systems using different materials. To address the heavy metal problems, Fisher and his team made a robot that's mostly plastic, with ceramic piezoelectric motors that allow it to work safely inside an MRI. The prostate device, it actually sits between the patient's legs and it's pretty much a, like a parallelogram type mechanism that lets us go you know, up, down, left, right, and change the angulation. And then on top of that, we have the ability to insert and rotate the needle and fire a biopsy gun. The tiny robot positioned between the patient's legs waits for the up, down, left, right commands as the doctor reviews the MRI images and identifies a target, like suspicious cells. The robot's location is understood in relation to those images. So an example would be if you want to do a targeted biopsy, we can put somebody in an MRI scanner, we can take an MRI image of them, we can try to identify something that looks suspicious, we can register that image to the robot, which can also operate inside the scanner at the same time. You can more or less then either click a button or do some sort of cooperative motion, and then the needle will go and take a biopsy sample from exactly that spot that you identified in the images. The process is called inverse kinematics. Essentially, you figure out how much to move each motor to align the robot and rotate the needle. Doctors then use 3D visualization and planning software to review the MRI images of a patient. There they can identify the target location. 
which is typically a specific pixel in the MRI. The visualization software also determines the best path to get to that location. The same robot controller can be used for brain surgeries. In fact, in the example of a tumor, a robot could be equipped with an ablation instrument that burns targeted tissue. So that's really the general concept of these very compact application-specific robots. You pick a target or uh, essentially the area of interest inside of the MRI image. The MRI is registered to the robot. The robot can align the instrument, needle or ablation instrument, whatever it is, and then we can insert it and perform the intervention under live imaging. Not only does the robot provide anatomical images, it provides thermal ones. And thermal images are very valuable when you're taking out a tumor. So if we're doing ablation, which is a burning, essentially a brain tumor, right, we can actually get the thermal dose map in real time using the MRI system, and then we're using an AI-based learning approach to try to figure out how can we actually burn a very specific lesion shape that matches the shape of the tumor you know, using the robot with uh, live updates of the thermal dose and the anatomy. For the prostate robot, Fisher worked with the doctors and nurses at Brigham and Women's Hospital. The team also tests their instrumentation in a fully functioning operating room called Practice Point at Worcester Polytechnic, a kind of patient care suite, a lab that's a two-bed ICU. Fisher's very excited about the work being done with robots that are guided by MRI images, especially in how they could someday be used in brain cancer therapy. Potentially, you could place an instrument anywhere in the brain and guide the instrument with live imagery. Because what you don't want to have to do is do a very, very invasive craniotomy and try to dig out a tumor. We would much rather be able to stick a small needle in and very precisely burn it out and guarantee that you you remove the cancerous tissue, but you also want to avoid collateral damage, right? And that's really, really important. It's important anywhere, but it's most important in the brain. The same precise MRI-guided navigation could soon support conditions like Parkinson's disease or any other applications that someday might require small, well-placed electrodes on the brain. With an automated or superhuman peg transfer test or a robo-suturer or an MRI robot, there is a level of autonomy. But the human doctor is still very much involved in the procedures. The vision system that guides the MRI robot, for example, that can't be the only set of eyes. Skin could suddenly deform and look different during surgery. There may be blood or other debris that could confuse an imaging technology that's designed to look for specific characteristics. That's where you need human expertise. Humans are definitely better than robots when it comes to understanding and perceiving the human body and all its nuances, says Berkeley's Ken Goldberg, who spoke with us in the early part of the episode. Humans, after all, they take note of heartbeat or breathing lungs or fluids in the body, the kinds of variables that might stump a robot. Here's Ken Goldberg from Berkeley again. It's just a very complex environment to, to maneuver in, and that is far beyond the capabilities of today's computer vision systems. So that's a huge one, is how do we perceive? And I think that's where doctors have to come in, and they have to use judgment to be able to see what's going on, to understand where this wound is or this tumor is. These are very complex things, and I don't think we're going to be able to automate those anytime soon. For now, it's about automating those tedious subtasks, the ones that require reliable motion, says Greg Fisher, maker of the MRI-guided robot. After all, we didn't go straight to the self-driving car. We started with small features. At some point during our interviews, all three of our Here's an Idea guests today said that medical robotics will advance incrementally, much like today's sophisticated cars. There'll be one automated feature at a time, 
a few things here and there that keep you in your lane. But where I think there's a huge advantage is having the robot do a particular subtask. So again, if I want to tie one stitch of a suture and then repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, right? If I want to cut along a very specific line, right? If I want to move instruments a certain way. Axel Krieger says that humans are better than robots in sizing up a situation, gathering data, dealing with the unexpected, and making decisions. Humans are just amazing of synthesizing a lot of information, making, you know, complex decisions. I think that's still, uh, you know, what humans are really good thinking, you know, a couple steps uh, ahead, you know, what's going next, you know, where's the risk uh, when I, you know, perform something and, and really keeping the entire outcome goal, uh, you know, in your head. But let's not pat ourselves on our human back just yet. And let's not be too hard on robots and their limitations. At the end of our interview, when I asked Axel Krieger about how he envisioned a future of robotic surgery, he brought up an intriguing example. There are scenarios in life where you're on your own, and it could be helpful to have a sophisticated machine nearby, like if you're in an ambulance. I'm also, you know, very excited about potential applications where there are currently no surgeons, right? So if you think about uh, integrating a robot in a uh, you know, emergency vehicle and doing some procedures on the way to the hospital from an accident. You don't directly compete with a with a surgeon, but you do some you know steps on on early diagnostics and and early life saving care. I think that's also really interesting applications of of robotic technologies uh, that really help people. In desperate situations like on a battlefield or in a natural disaster, or in an ambulance, perhaps there'd be some relief if there were a robot nearby. An autonomous one, trained by humans to make the right decisions when there's no human to be found. To our listeners out there, if you want to learn more about the technology featured in today's interview, go to techbriefs.com slash podcast. Here you can also find our previous episodes of Here's an Idea. You can also get these episodes from your favorite podcast provider, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher. I'm Billy Hurley. Thanks for being with us on Here's an Idea.